Well, hi everybody, it's great to be with you. Uh, it's my privilege to speak today and to open up this new series. We're calling this series God's Plan for Your Wellbeing. Uh, but before we get into the message and the series, I want to just honour a little challenge I put out there on Christmas Day. So if you were with us on Christmas Day morning, we had a short family service and I was speaking. And as part of my message, I put a little challenge out there to all the kids who are watching uh, that whilst I spoke, as well as obviously hanging on every word I said, I said they could uh, grab a piece of paper if they wanted to, grab a pen or pencil and do their best drawing of me and send them in. And then the next time I spoke, I would show the best pictures there were. So uh, true to my word, that day has arrived. So before we get into the message, here are some of the pictures sent through to me, uh, just showing you what I look like on Christmas Day morning. So here we go. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed those. They made me smile when I got them through. Uh, well done to all of you who sent them through. Thank you to my own children for their very kind depictions of me. And particularly well done to Trevor, age 60, from the Downham site for his contribution. Uh, Trevor, I know where you live. Okay, let's get into today's message. Um, I want to begin by just asking you, have you ever received an invite to something really special, maybe something, uh, an evening somewhere, some kind of special event, somewhere a bit posh, or tickets to some great sporting moment. I've been fortunate to, you know, have a few of those moments, but probably the best example I can think about, I remember was about 20 years ago, uh, Sarah and I were leading the youth group here at the church, and in the youth group were, uh, were a couple of girls, they were part of a, a family that we got to know really well over those few years, and that family rang us up one day and said, are you, are you sitting down? And they explained to us on the phone that basically they had got some money through an insurance claim and they decided to spend this money on a really special holiday. And the dad was uh, keen on boats and he was a sailor. And so they had decided that they were going to hire a yacht and sail around the Greek islands. And they had hired a boat big enough for their family, but they had two extra spaces and the mum and dad asked these girls who were in our youth group and said, who, who else do you want to invite? And the Holy Spirit was clearly working that day because uh, these excellent young ladies decided that they would like to invite me and Sarah to come on this holiday with them. So we got this phone call saying, would you like to come on holiday and sail around the Greek islands with us for a week or so? So coming that July of that summer, we, Sarah and I got to get on a yacht, get on a boat, and sail around the Greek islands for a week. And it was pretty amazing, I have to say. We haven't done anything like that uh, since that moment, 20 years ago. So if there's anybody watching who wants to invite us out for another week of sailing around the Greek islands, we're happy to give it another go if you'd like to invite us. Now, I start there because we're going to be teaching through a whole series on the issue 
of well-being. And we're going to break it down into all these different areas that you would have heard earlier on in the clip from Dave Smith talking about, you know, our physical and our emotional well-being, our relational, financial, vocational, spiritual. He describes them as all gauges, and we're going to speak on each of them. All of them are important. All of them have a big part to play in terms of how we are doing, how replenished or depleted we feel, how energized or exhausted we are, how anxious or peaceful we feel. They're all areas, if you like, that we should think about, focus on, and I suspect do something about. But I want to say to you right at the start of this series and at the, right at the heart of this subject, biblically, I believe, right at the heart is an invite. Now, currently, I'm reading through the Bible in a year. Um, I began right at the start of January. I'm doing pretty well. I'm up to date. Uh, but I haven't hit Leviticus yet. Uh, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, you'll know Leviticus is, is not the easiest one to get through. It's a bit like the reading in the Bible's years, kind of equivalent of hitting the wall when you're running a marathon. Uh, but as I was reading through Matthew, I, the other day I got to a passage in Matthew 11, and I read these words that Jesus says. And he says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is making an incredible statement about who he is, about who we are really, and, and who and what we most need and he basically makes this amazing invite. He says, I want you to come to me. I want you to connect yourself to me, to learn from me, and I will give you rest for your souls. And actually, as you read through the Gospels, if you know the Gospels, you will find Jesus keeps making these kind of statements and keeps issuing these kind of invites. John 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Matthew 16, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, Jesus says, I've not come to steal life, I've come to give it and I've come to bring the best version of it. John 6, 35, I am, Jesus says, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And Jesus keeps teaching like this again and again. If you want to know life, he says, if you want to find purpose and contentment and meaning, come to me, Jesus says. And if you will come to me, if you will yoke with me, partner with me, surrender to me, line up with me, you will find rest for your souls. In other words, Jesus is saying there is a different way to live and it all starts with me. A few weeks ago, we went out for a walk one Saturday. That's pretty much what we do on Saturdays because there's not a lot else you can do right now. We went out for a walk. Sarah had discovered a kind of, uh, some woods that we'd never been to. So we kind of loaded up the car, we took some of the kids, grabbed the dog and off we went. And we kind of got to this place, we arrived, parked the car, got everybody out, and off we went into the woods. About 30 minutes into the walk, I remember turning to Sarah and saying, you know, do you think maybe we should turn around now uh, and go back? She was like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. 
And so I said, where did we park the car? And she said, well, I don't know, Phil, you, you parked the car. Like, wh where did you park the car? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought you knew where you parked, or I thought you knew where we parked the car. Anyway, we had that kind of conversation. And it turns out neither of us knew where we parked the car. And we had kind of, you know, strangely, I had forgotten to tie some string to the car and put it all the way through the woods. So we, we were in these woods. The woods all look pretty much the same this time of year, don't they? They're just lots of trees with no leaves. And we didn't know where we were. We didn't know the route back. Uh, and we didn't know how to get back to where the car was because we didn't know where we had left the car. We didn't know where we'd started from. Two days later, we managed to find our way back. No, it wasn't. That afternoon, we do find our way back to the car, but it was a little bit of a struggle. And the point is, if you don't know where you're starting from, if you get the start wrong, you can get pretty lost. And there is a little bit of a danger for us when we do a series like this or we think about a subject like this. And the danger is if we don't start at the right place, if you don't start from the place of understanding or living a surrendered life where we make walking with Jesus the center and the foundation, if we don't see Jesus as the ultimate source of life and well-being, if we don't do that, then we can start in the wrong place and we can end up getting a bit lost along the way. We can end up thinking, if I do these things, if I get myself straight in all these areas, I can kind of fix myself. Now, it's not to say that all these things we're going to talk about aren't really important. They really are. And everything we're going to talk about will inevitably involve us having to adjust some things and having to do some things. But everything we're going to talk about in this series, all these things are meant to be means of grace to us. In other words, avenues through which God can help me, God can bless me, God can restore me, conduits, if you like, from which I can receive from him. For example, there is no doubt that in my life that exercise, running, things like that is a means of grace to me. God does me good when I exercise. It doesn't feel like it when I am actually exercising and running, but afterwards I'm thankful. But we must start in the right place. John Ortberg has written a book called Soul Keeping, and in that book he quotes the American psychologist Martin Seligman. Now, uh, Seligman is a well-known, very well-respected uh, psychologist. He has written a lot on the issue of well-being. And he argues that one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why there is such an epidemic of challenge in the Western world when it comes to issues of well-being is that we live in a culture where basically we are encouraged to constantly focus on ourselves, on, on us and on, on me, on my needs, my wants, my desires. He argues that when we live like that, uh, lives that simply revolve around us, our needs, our concerns, our wants, we don't, and when we don't live, if you like, with a focus beyond ourselves and give beyond ourselves, we will inevitably struggle. Humans struggle to flourish when they make themselves the sole focus and center of their own worlds. And I think he's right. And although he doesn't speak biblically, I think he's right biblically because the Bible is really clear. We were not made for ourselves. We were not made to be the center of our own lives. We were made for another. We were made to know God, to walk with him, before him, to live our lives connected to him. 
and to make him the center and focus of our lives. We were meant to orbit, if you like, around him, to love him and to love the people around us that he loves. That's how we were made. That's how we are made. And the Psalms, if you know the Psalms, are full of moments where people, the psalmist cries out in desperation for God, wanting to know God. Psalm 84, for example, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out, literally scream out for the living God. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, I used to think, I don't know how you read those passages. I used to read those Psalms and kind of read them as as if they were descriptions of the psalmist's great passion and zeal. And, And maybe they are. It's like when you meet someone who is seemingly so on fire for God, it's like they look like a super Christian to you. They're they're so zealous for God. And you look at them, you think, oh man, I can never match up to them. I just don't have that level of zeal or fire in me. And then I realized that I don't think these Psalms are necessarily the cry of some kind of super believer or Christian. I think these Psalms are basically the cry of someone who's realized how desperate and how needy they are, how much they will struggle without God. And therefore, I think these Psalms are a description of all of us, whether we know it or not, whether we feel it or not, they are a description of how desperate we are for God, how much we need him, how much our soul needs him, how we will never be satisfied without him. And that is why Jesus keeps inviting people, come to me, partner with me, give your life to me, because ultimately, Jesus says, only I can restore your soul. And so that's why it's so important as we start this series, as we enter these next few weeks, that we realize this series in the end is not ultimately about us. Yes, obviously, it's about the challenges of well-being that we face that we know have become more and more prevalent over the last few generations. You look at the stats for the last 50 years and it's, it's, it's shocking how much the challenges have increased. And we know that we're talking about this subject in the context of a very, very difficult years where all the challenges of well-being have been amplified and compounded by COVID and all the restrictions we face. And that's why we're talking about it. That's why it's so important we're talking about this. But ultimately, I want to say this series is about God It's about how God has made us and how he wants to work in our lives and partner with us and how if we will cooperate with him, he wants to do us good. Dave Smith, right at the start of his study guide that you would have heard about and some of you would have picked up and would encourage you to use it, um, he talks right at the start in the first chapter about a well-being mindset. It's a good chapter. I'd encourage you to read it. And I want to just in these last few minutes in this message, I want to, if you like, give us or give you a mindset, a framework, an approach to this week and this season as we think about well-being and God's desire to, if you like, restore us and refresh us. And so I want to take us to some verses in the Old Testament which In many ways, you see kind of echoed in what Jesus says in Matthew 11. These are some of maybe the most famous words in the whole Bible. I suspect you will know them. And 
These words come from the first four verses of Psalm 23. So what, what, they're going to come up on the screen, but let's just read them. You can read them with me as I read them. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. When you, um, when, you, when you have kids or when you talk to kids, and in my experience, particularly boys, sometimes, particularly when you're lost on a walk in the woods and you don't know where your car is, sometimes you end up having quite interesting conversations and you get asked questions like this. If you were a superhero, what kind of superpowers would you have? Or if you could live in a film universe, any film universe, what universe would it be? I got asked that question just this week. Or my personal favourite, if there was a zombie apocalypse, where would you go and what weapons would you choose? I've had to talk about that one quite a few times. And occasionally you get asked this question, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? Well, let me tell you, when you get asked that question, no one ever chooses to be a sheep because sheep basically are not that impressive. They're kind of stupid. Yes, they look cute when they're little. And I know some of you are thinking they taste nice when they're little as well. I understand that as well. But aside from that, they're not that impressive as animals. No one ever chooses to be the sheep. Sheep don't get entered into competitions. They don't, you know, dogs do. Dogs can round up sheep. Dolphins and dogs can win obedience tests. No sheep win those. You don't see any sheep doing tricks at circuses. And the Bible keeps on saying that we are like sheep. Jesus tells stories about sheep and the need for a shepherd, and it's not a compliment to us. Sheep wander off. They get lost. They don't find their way home. They don't save themselves. They desperately, desperately need a shepherd. And David begins Psalm 23 by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And there is a decision, I guess, in that for all of us, right at the start of this series, there's a decision. Have I given my life to God? Have I surrendered? Have I given myself to the shepherd? Am I his? Because if you want to know God's saving work in your life, if you want to know this different way of living, if you want to know what it is to live with a soul that can be restored, it starts by giving your life to the great shepherd, by giving your life to God, by saying to Jesus, I'm, I'm lost, I've wandered, I cannot get home. I want to follow you. You make him the centre of your life, not yourself anymore. You can do that today. You can do it even right now. You can just give, you can say, God, I want to follow you. And David says here, the Lord is my shepherd. It's very personal. There's no we or us. It's, he's my shepherd. Because when you come to Jesus, you now have a shepherd. And the shepherd's job is to look after the sheep, to provide, to guide, to care. That's his job. And that's what he loves to do. It means I have a shepherd who watches over my life, who cares for me, who's going to walk with me, who's going to guide me and protect me. That's what he loves to do. One who is absolutely committed to me, more committed to me than I am to him. God is doing that. And God wants us, if you're a Christian, he wants you to live in the good of it, in the conscious reality of the truth of it today. 
What a relief. And he promises to do it when the valley is at its darkest and even and when the days are at their brightest. It means I can rest, I can trust, I can wait because the Lord, he is my shepherd. And because I have a great shepherd, I can say what David says, I shall not want. We live in a world of want, don't we? We live in a world which is deeply discontented. In fact, we live in a world where the entire advertising uh, whole industry is built on the idea of breeding discontent in us. That sense of if only I had, if only I had a bit more, if only I was in that season or that stage or I was there and rather than here. And it breeds discontent in us. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's a statement, if you like, of absolute security and total contentment. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't experience desires and it doesn't mean there aren't wants and it doesn't mean there aren't seasons of great challenge. We're in one right now. But the promise is, if I will center my life, if I will follow Jesus, if I will give my life to the shepherd, I can learn to live a deeply contented life. I shall not want. There is a different way of living. In fact, Jesus says something very similar in Matthew 6. These are words that have spoken to me so much over the years. He says in Matthew 6, do not worry. In fact, the whole thing is about don't worry about tomorrow. We're very good at worrying about tomorrow. I have a gift for it. But he says, don't worry about tomorrow, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. It's like they're frenetically chasing. We live in a world which chases. He says, they run and they chase and your heavenly father knows you need them. God knows. But Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's very simple, but it's very profound. Jesus is saying, trust me. Each day, trust me, recenter your life on me. Seek me, follow me, put me first, in other words. Orbit your life back around me each day. Remember, Jesus is saying, I'm a good shepherd. Your father, I love this, your father already knows what you need. I'll give you what you'll need. In other words, it's okay. You can stop running after everything. The chronic discontent can stop. There is another way because the Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I need. He knows what's good for me and he promises to provide for me. He's a good shepherd. I shall not want. And then lastly this, because he is my shepherd Therefore, I don't need to want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's what he does. Now, sheep won't lie down when they're scared. There's people written on this stuff. When they're hungry, when there's tension in the air, when they're not sure if they have what they need to be safe and secure, they get kind of agitated and twitchy. They don't rest when they feel like that. We have a seven-month-old puppy called Amber. She's a great dog, um, but she gets a bit nervous sometimes, and particularly when it's nighttime. And if I let her out into the garden, she will run out. She barks and growls at 
like any kind of imaginary thing out there, any imaginary bird or cat or Jehovah's Witness, anything that happens to be out there, she will bark and growl and she makes a racket. She, and there is nothing restful about that moment. But sometimes I will take her out. I'll put a lead on her. I will guide her and lead her out into the garden. And when I do that, she is a different dog. She is calmer. She's less nervous. She's more settled. Her surroundings don't threaten her anymore simply because I'm with her. And because she realizes I'm there, she stops fretting. fretting. It's like she realizes everything's okay. Just the presence of the shepherd for the sheep changes everything. He makes me lie down. You see, when I remember that the Lord is my shepherd, when I remember that he really is a good shepherd, when I remember that I shall not want, that my father knows what I need already and he's completely committed to caring for me and providing for me, when I remember these things, something in my spirit can rest. Something I start to experience, if you like, still waters. Something in my heart can stop fretting and running. Something of the truth of those words starts to mean I can kind of breathe. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Friends, I believe God truly wants to restore our souls. He wants to do us good. And if you know the rest of the psalm, you will know that David goes on to describe some very dark times. He talks about the valley of the shadow of death. Many of us have experienced and walked through that valley this year. Our whole nation, in many ways, is walking through that valley. But he says, even there in the valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as we enter this week and as we enter this season, I want to encourage you to read this psalm again and again. Pray it, speak it to your soul. Allow it, if you like, to permeate your heart and enter your consciousness. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a good shepherd. You're a good, good father. Lord, thank you that you are committed to caring and providing for us and protecting us, to be with us. And even through the darkest valley, you say, I'm with you. Therefore, we can say, I will fear no evil. Lord, I pray, teach us your ways. Show us what it means to learn from you. Learn how to live your way. Teach us your ways through this season, I praise, and through this series. Graciously, we ask that you might restore our souls again and again. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.